0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter seven, Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Um, if you're joining us for the first time here in a couple of weeks this evening, we are walking through a series on the book of Matthew, the first gospel in the New Testament, written by one of Jesus's apostles, one of the, the 12 disciples who followed Jesus in his ministry here on earth. Matthew was a tax collector. And we know that he was very good at recording details. And so what we have here um, is Matthew giving an account of the Messiah coming to the nation of Israel and actually to the whole world as we're gonna see here this evening. So the God statement tonight is Jesus is gracious. Let me hear you say those three words. Jesus is gracious. Um, the text we're gonna read this evening, I wanna be honest with you, is one of the most sobering texts I think that we have in all the Bible. There are, there are several texts that whenever I read this in scripture, like there's like, there's like a, a healthy sense of like godly fear when I read these words. And these are the type of words that when I'll go to bed at night, they like make me, they'll, they'll make me think and I'll stay up because they're very sobering. Um, so what we're going to do tonight is if you were here last week, we talked about the Beatitudes, which is the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight I want to go ahead and read the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to cover the broad stroke of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 of Jesus' entire sermon on the mountain. And I'm gonna see why he lands right here. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to follow me. If you don't, you can follow here on the screen. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Jesus is looking at the crowds and he says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man And great was the fall of it. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we yet again welcome your presence here this evening. God, we need you. We need you here tonight. I need you here tonight. Lord, I thank you for every single man And every single woman who's in this room tonight, I thank you that you see them, that you know them, that you love them, and that you are gracious to them. You see all of our lives and you don't waste an ounce of any of them. And so Holy Spirit, as we look into the word that you inspired here this evening as we look at the words and the teachings of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would uh, make us available, that you would change our lives, you would transform our hearts here this evening, Lord, that you would deconstruct and you would crucify what needs to be crucified tonight and you would resurrect, that you would bring new life, I pray that you would speak to the discouraged, to the hopeless, to the wayward, to the lost this evening. Would you show us yourself? God, we need you. God, we need you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Be with us tonight, Lord. And if you can agree with that this evening, can you say amen? the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters of Jesus looking at the people of Israel. And he basically takes all of the Old Testament or what they thought the Old Testament to be and he flips it on its head. As you read these three chapters, you hear Jesus say over and over and over again, you have heard it said, fill in the blank, but I say to you, And we see this pattern. You have heard it said, but I say to you. What we have here and what we've seen over the the past couple weeks is, is Matthew is making a record of Jesus coming out of his baptism and coming out of 40 days and 40 nights of fasting in the wilderness. And he's begun his ministry and he's using these words, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he comes to this moment of the Sermon on the Mount, the first sermon that we see in the gospel. What Matthew is attempting to show us here in Jesus' sermon is he's going, look, I wanna show you what the kingdom of heaven looks like. I want to show you what God's world looks like when God reigns in the life of his people. And it's not the way that you think. It would look, it takes everything that we see as logical. It takes everything that we see as rational and he begins to kind of turn things on their head. And so he goes and he, he begins to address roughly about 20 subjects of life. For this is what it means to be the people of God and you have heard it said this, but I say to you this. And so what I wanna do is I wanna put this list up on the screen. All of these different areas that Jesus begins to address in these three chapters. And what I wanna encourage you to do after this sermon, if you've never read these chapters before, is go read them. Most of the time when a student will come to me and say like, look, I've never kind of opened up scripture before and I don't really know where to start. This is the starting point that I'll give them. I say, go to Matthew chapter five, six, and seven and read it, read it slow. Read five verses and just think about the five verses that you just read. Because if you're getting to know who Jesus is, you're getting to know what he values, this is a great starting point. So what I wanna do is I just kinda of wanna summarize real quick these 20 sections, because it was I had two choices. Let's read all three chapters tonight, which would have been a lot, or summarize. So we're gonna go with the summary version here this evening. So the Beatitudes is what we talked about last week, where Jesus is saying, look, if you wanna know Who is favored in my kingdom? If you want to know the people with whom I have my hand upon, these are the people. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And several others, the Lord is going, look, my hand, my favor is upon these people. It's not upon the rich the wealthy, the educated, the theologically astute, the religiously strong. It's not upon the people who have their act together. It's not upon the people who are are going to church every week and feel like they got their lives together. It's upon the people who realize they have a need. It's upon the people who realize that they are broken that they are frail, that they are lacking. Those are the people who my hand is upon in my kingdom. Then he pivots and he looks at his followers and he goes, you, the people who follow me, you are the salt and light of the world. This is what he's saying. He's saying, the people who follow me, The people who have submitted their lives to me, who who believe with their hearts and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. They are the salt of the earth. Salt was used for back in in this time as a plethora of things. It was used to preserve meat. It was used obviously to give flavor to things. It was used to, to help heal wounds. What Jesus is saying here is he's going, This is how the world is going to know that I have come is through my people. They're going to be like a city set on a hill. What Jesus is saying is he's like, I'm going to acknowledge and I'm going to make clear, here are my people. You are the flavor of who I am in the world. And in fact, It's not just that I'm going to piece back together and I'm gonna redeem this broken world, but actually I'm gonna invite you to be a part of it. I'm gonna invite you to be the ones who bear witness of who I am in the world. How is the world 2,000 years later, following Jesus's death, his resurrection, and his ascension, how is the world going to know about this Jesus through his people? You. You the salt and light of the world. Then he pivots and he goes, I wanna make something really, really clear at the beginning of this sermon. That as you're gonna hear me talk, you're gonna hear me allude to the law quite a bit. You heard it was said, fill in the blank, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. He's like, you've, you've heard those things because that's part of the law. But I want you to hear me say that I have not come to disregard that law. What Jesus is saying here is he's going, look, as my followers, I'm not here to ignore the Old Testament. I'm not here to ignore all of the things that I told Israel to do and the commandment I told them to follow. No, no, I'm not asking you to ignore it. I'm wanting to show you that I fulfill it. Are you with me? Here's what you're gonna see over the course of the next three chapters is Jesus is gonna make you feel very, very pitiful in your own strength which is a beautiful thing, and we're gonna get to that in a second. But what he's wanting for you to see here is he's going, look, where you lack, you're going to see me be enough. Are you with me? Where you fall short, Jesus will not. So he's going, look, I didn't come to disregard the Old Testament law, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to show you the perfection of it in myself. Then he pivots. And he begins to make people feel and realize that they're not as good as they think they are. He's saying, you've heard it said, thou shall not murder. And he goes, but I say to you that those who have anger, malice, bitterness built up in their heart, that those who, who call their brother or sister a fool, that those who would take matters into their own hands, that's, The gravity and the weight of somebody who bears that in their heart is the same as one who commits murder in my kingdom. My people don't try to take matters into their own hands. And then he takes it a step further again with the topic of lust, and it's supposed to say, and divorce. That's a typo right there. But what he begins to talk about here, what we're seeing in this sermon, is that Jesus holds our sexuality, our sexual integrity, and the sanctity of marriage with high regard. And he's looking, at, he's looking at the nation of Israel and he's going, okay, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Don't go marry a woman and then go have sex with another woman. Or don't go marry a man and then don't go have sex with another man. Or don't not be married at all and go have sex with whoever you want to. That's committing adultery. And he goes, no, 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 no. But I say to you, that even if you look at a woman with lust, that you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. You've already broken the law. And you've heard it said that you could just kind of offer a certificate of divorce for kind of whatever reason is, if you were the husband, a woman couldn't offer a certificate of divorce to her husband, but a man could. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. In my kingdom, he was like, you have to understand that what I have given in the sanctity of marriage is a precious precious thing what I have joined together let no man separate so just because she doesn't please you or just because you feel like she's gotten old you can't just throw in a certi- certificate of do- divorce and walk away from her what we're seeing Jesus say is he's going no, no no I hold these things with high regard and at this point if you're sitting there and you're the nation of Israel you're going oh boy I'm not going to be welcome in this guy's kingdom I don't have what it takes to do that. I don't have what it takes to uphold what he's talking about. Then he pivots and he begins to talk about oaths. And he's saying, look, in my kingdom, just simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't try to promise anything further. What he's saying here is he's going, don't act as if you have total control and total sovereignty over your life, because you don't. He's like, you don't have the ability to make the hairs on your head turn gray. Why would you promise something to somebody that you don't have the power to fulfill in and of yourself? Takes it a step further, and then he begins to take our idea of justice and turn it on its head. He goes, look, if somebody smacks you in the face, turn them to the other side of your face and let them smack the other side. He's going look, if, if somebody wants to sue you and take your tunic, give them your second one as well. If somebody asks you to go and walk with them one mile, go with them two miles. Now, if you're understanding what's happening in this cultural moment right now, you know that Israel is being oppressed by Rome. And what often would happen is Rome was walking on their journey. If they saw an Israelite on the side of the road and they were, they were carrying their own luggage, their own, their own equipment, they would look at an Israelite and say, hey, carry this for me. And go with me a mile, I don't want to carry this anymore. And Jesus is going, look, if they ask you to do it, don't just go with them one mile, go with them two. If somebody comes and does you wrong, it is not upon you to hold it against them. And then he takes it further and says, in fact, you have heard it said that you are to love your neighbor, but hate your enemy, Take care of the people of Israel, the people who share your bloodline, the people who share your history, the the people who share your faith. But those Romans, you've heard it said, just hate them. Disdain them. People who would come in and oppress you, put heavy burdens upon you, be careless towards you. You have a right to hate them because they hate you. Jesus goes, no, that's not the way it is in my kingdom. He goes, I say to you, to love your enemies and to pray for those who would persecute you. Pray for those who would wanna murder your family. Pray for those who would wanna take your life. Pray for those who wanna put heavy burdens upon you. Pray for those who hate you. That's what it's like in my kingdom He goes on to talk about here in three different ways a warning against his people about practicing their righteousness in front of others. And he talks about three different categories here. He talks about their giving, he talks about their praying, and he talks about their fasting. He's going, look, I know that you've watched the Pharisees and the scribes. Go and make it clear when they're giving Generously. In the temple, and you've watched the Pharisees and the scribes stand on public corners and pray out loud, and try to make everyone clear that they know Scripture and that they're 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 very aware of what's gone on in the Old Testament. They want everybody to see that they're very righteous. And he goes, and you've you've seen the Pharisees and the scribes go ahead and mark their faces to make it really clear to everybody that they're really weak and they're really fragile while they're fasting and praying. He's going, no, 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 don't do that in my kingdom. He's like, people in my kingdom don't seek their own glory and they don't seek to establish their own righteousness. So when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, go into your room and close the door. And when you pray, don't heap up a bunch of empty phrases and a bunch of theologically big words to make you sound impressive. He goes, no, no, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you give us this day our daily bread? And would you forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? And would you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Just pray, pray like that. It can be really simple. And when you fast, Don't do it in public and don't make yourself look weak. He says, wash your face and make yourself look strong and know that your father who sees what you are doing will reward you in secret. You don't need anybody else to know that you're pursuing intimacy with me. And he gives this warning of this is not what it's like to be in my kingdom where everybody's trying to flash that they got it together. Are you with me? If you were talking to us today, he'd be like, hey, Don't make it look like you got your life together and you're good on social media. You have permission to be human in my kingdom. You have permission to take masks off and you've, in fact, those who who wanna be fake and wanna hide their need, they're not welcome in my kingdom. This is what it means to be my people and to have God reign in my people's lives. Then he takes it a step further and he goes, look, don't labor and work to lay up treasures here on earth where moth and rust have their way. You can't take your money. You can't take your car. You can't take your scholarship. You can't take your marriage. You can't take your relationship with with your friends. You can't take those things into heaven. He said, but you know what you can your relationship with the Lord. He's saying don't let anything else be more valuable than your intimacy with God. That's what treasure looks like. Lay up for yourself treasure and heaven. Don't be consumed with the things of this world. Don't be concerned about your 401k. Don't be concerned about what's next in life. Don't be concerned about all of the things that you are going to do, that you are going to accomplish. Look at Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus. And he takes it a step further and he goes, look, don't be anxious for anything. I'm staying in order, right? Yeah, look at me. Don't be anxious for anything. He goes, look, like, like consider, consider the lilies of the field, how they're really, really beautiful. And consider, like consider the, the, the birds of the air, how they don't have to worry and they're not freaking out about how they're gonna eat tomorrow. Like consider those things and then look at yourself. Are you not of more value than they? So don't worry about what you're going to eat or, or what you are going to wear, what you are going to look like. He's like, don't be, don't be anxious about those things. In other words, I think if you we were to get under the root of what Jesus is saying here, is he's going, look, do you believe that God sees you? Do you believe that the God who created your life cares for your life? Do you believe that God has placed value upon your life? He's like, look, you do not have to worry. You do not have to worry that you have to be dependent on yourself to keep going because God's already put it upon himself to take care of you be anxious for nothing then he looks at them and he's he's saying look I don't want you to be concerned about what I am doing and how I am sanctifying another person I didn't give you eyes for you to look at others and see how you are better than them are you with me he's going no 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 he goes here's what you need to do before you go with a critical eye and look at your brother and sister and go, this is what you need to improve in your life and here's where you are lacking. Before you look at the speck in their eye, take the log or the plank out of your own eye. Be concerned not with the brokenness and the sinfulness that others are walking through, but be concerned with the brokenness and sinfulness that is going on in your own life. And more than that, be more concerned with what I'm doing in you. This is why most people walk away from the church, by the way. is because they feel that this isn't a place where they could be welcome. Especially in junior high and high school. The amount of times I sit across the table with a parent and they're going, "My, my, my child needs community. My child needs friends and they're isolated and they're at home and they're depressed and they're lonely and they're anxious and they don't know what to do. And the first thing they'll ask is, have they come on a Wednesday night? Have they come on a Sunday morning? And and the parents will go, they just feel judged. They don't feel like they belong at church because they don't have their act together. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. We're all guilty of that. We take the plank out of my own eye. But I know that every person in this room maybe at some point in your life has experienced that. Feeling like others are looking down upon you and that you are not enough and that you don't have it together. And This sermon is a news flash for all of us. And by this sermon, I'm talking the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is going, none of you have your act together. So instead of looking at someone else as if their act is not together, first realize that your own act is not together. And when you can realize that, Then you'll know that you're walking in the reality of my kingdom. Don't judge others. Then he slips into the golden rule. And he says it's really, really simple. And this is actually common with a lot of other like religions and beliefs. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. Another way to say it might be love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Seek the good and the benefit of others. Take care with gentleness and patience and kindness and generosity and integrity. Those whom God has put in front of you in the same manner that you would take care of yourself. And then he gives a warning about false teachers and gives them the image of a tree. And he says, look, if it's a good tree, it'll bear good fruit. If it's a bad tree, it'll bear bad fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. You'll know what is good, you'll know what is bad. Don't go put yourself and don't try to feed yourself with the fruit of a diseased, a toxic, a false tree. He says, no, no, no. eat." from a tree that actually gives life. And then he pivots to these words that we read here tonight. He's looking at everybody at the end of this sermon, thousands of people in front of him. And he says, not everyone who comes to me on that day and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, What Jesus is saying here is he's acknowledging that there are going to be people at the end of the age who know that Jesus resurrected and see that he is the Lord of all. And they're gonna know him as Lord. They're gonna know that he in fact is the son of God. But the problem is he's not going to know them. And I want us to pay attention here because the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is saying leads us to this point. So I want to suggest three really quick things of what the Sermon on the Mount helps us to see. And we're going to land right there. The first thing that the Sermon on the Mount does is it helps reframe our ability to see the way the world that God intends us to see it. Are you with me? So what he's saying is he's going like, look, you look at the world like this, where if somebody slaps you on the cheek, the right thing to do would be to slap them back, Right? I know it sounds funny when you say it like that, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if someone goes, you go, he's going, no, no. In my kingdom, turn the other cheek. He's like, I understand that you think that when it comes to your sexual integrity, the question that you should ask is how far is too far? Maybe you're in a relationship right now with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you're asking the question right now, how far is too far? Can we... Can we hold hands? Can we kiss? Can we go a little bit further? How far is too far? And Jesus is going, that's not sexual integrity in my kingdom. He's like, if that's the question you're asking, how far can you go without sinning? He's like, you've missed the point of the law. And he he strips it down and he goes, no, 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 no. If that's what you're asking, you've already fallen short. He's going, I want your sexuality and I want your sexual integrity to be worshiped to me. I want you to take it a step further. So what Jesus is doing is he's saying, look, I'm going to kind of give you a different perspective, a different lens by which you're going to view the world. I'm going to reframe the way that you see the world. In other words, I'm going to teach you how to value what I value. Are you with me? The sermon on the mount helps us to see what God values. The sermon on the mount helps us to see what holiness looks like to our God. The sermon on the mount helps us see what perfection looks like to our God. The sermon on the mount helps us see what satisfaction looks like to our God. That's not the only thing the sermon on the mount does. The second thing that the sermon on the mount helps is it decreases our confidence in ourselves. What it does is it should make you feel like, oh man, I don't have my life together the way that I thought. I mean, I was good. Go to church on a regular basis. I grew up in a Christian home. I haven't had sex yet. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I mean, yeah, like I get, I get like mad and angry at like my siblings, but I haven't murdered anybody. <laughs> I've thought about it, but I haven't done it, right? <laughs> like, like I should, I should be, I'm, I mean, I'm doing well. Like I've, I've kind of got my, like I've, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm spending time in the world. Like I have good, godly friends. I don't gossip very often. And, and I, I go and I ask for forgiveness like when I can. But then Jesus begins to speak and you go, oh. But I've had lust in my heart before. Oh, I am anxious every day. I, I spend my time, my thoughts, my energy, my resource being consumed with taking care of what's next or pursuing my dreams. Or going after my own goals. I I spend my life trying to kind of thinking through kind of what is what is best for me. I'm more concerned with my own glory. And I'm more concerned with my own story. And I'm more concerned with my own life. Than I am with anything else. If I'm honest with myself, my treasures are a little spread out. And all of a sudden, what Jesus is doing here for the people of Israel, he's going, I know you thought you were awesome, but you're really not. I know you thought you were all that in a bag of chips, but you're not. And all of a sudden, the decrease of trust in ourselves begin to wane as we hear these words from Jesus where I thought I might have my act together. I thought I knew the law or I thought I was doing well. And all of a sudden I realize that I might not be fit for this kingdom. That if Jesus were to look at my life, he'd be like, pass. Have you ever had a moment in your life where somebody was trusting you with something that you didn't trust yourself with? This moment happened when we just had Haven in the hospital 10 months ago. And I remember when they were like, daddy, can you go ahead and change her while, we're, while we take care of mom over here in Haven's like this like fragile raptor, you know, like just. Wah! And when, I, I mean, I, up until Haven being born, I refused to hold any babies. I refused to hold any babies. He's when I we'd have, I'd have siblings and like sister-in-laws have children and they like, you wanna hold her? And I'm like, no. Like, why not? Because I don't want to break her or him. Like these tiny little fragile. And when you watch watch parents handle their own children, you're like, oh my gosh, like you are so careless. They're like flailing their arms and like throwing the children around. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's like a life. It's like a life. And I remember the first time I changed Haven's diaper, it was like, I was defusing a bomb. (laughs) Like trying not to break my daughter. And then I will never forget the moment after after the second night, day three of the hospital, and the nurse comes in and she goes, you guys are good to go. You can go home. And I looked at Mariah and I looked at Haven. I looked at the nurse and I was like, What? (laughs) And I remember walking Haven down to our car. I didn't even know how to put her in the car seat. To this day, when Mariah and I look back, it's like Haven's like straps were so big and they were like over her face. And it was like, we didn't have it right. And I remember like breaking down the car seat, having no idea what I was doing and lifting it up into the car and getting into the driver's seat. My wife right next to me. And we're sitting there and we're like, Mariah was like, are you ready for this? And I was like, no, I've never been more afraid to drive a car in my entire life. I was driving like 15 miles an hour down Woodman, like, like a pothole, like dear God, did I just jar her brain? There was a bump in the car and I remember walking into our house and I looked at Mariah, and I was like, I feel like, 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 like we've been in a class, like preparing and like the class ends with a big test and the test just started and it's, it's a pass fail, like your child lives or dies. Type of, type of like test. And I remember like walking into our house and I'm like holding the car seat, like coming in, you know, like I don't wanna pull her out because she might die if I do. And I remember that moment of going like, I'm being entrusted with something that I don't trust myself to handle with care. I remember Haven going to bed that night and for the first two weeks of her life, I'd wake up every 30 minutes and huh, is she still there. Is she breathing? Is, her, is, is anything covering her nose or her mouth? Like, is she okay? And I remember she, she'd start crying and both me and Mariah would, you know, like freak out and we'd go and we'd pull her out of the bed and it's like, I would just inspect. I'm like, there's no like snake around her neck, is there? Like, the thoughts you have as a new parent. And I remember thinking every day, I am not qualified to do this. Why, why, oh Lord, would you entrust us with the life of this human being? Why? I don't trust myself. And I think this is the way as, 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 as Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's going, look, I want you to trust yourself less. In my kingdom. You're not gonna put your confidence in your talent. In my kingdom, you're not gonna put your confidence in your own strength. In my kingdom, you're not gonna put your confidence in your own willpower. In my kingdom, you're not gonna put your confidence in your own righteousness. In my kingdom, you're not gonna put your confidence in yourself. If you're gonna follow me, let me, let me tell you how you know that you're growing as a believer. You wanna know what the sign of maturity looks like in the kingdom of God? Is you trust yourself less and less every day. You with me? You have less confidence in your ability to do it right every day. So then the question is, if we are to Put less trust in ourselves. Where does Jesus want us to place that trust? Which brings us to this final point. It's really simple and it's a repetition of the last couple weeks. As the Sermon on the Mount helps reveal that we have a need. A need for a savior. Can I get the worship team to go ahead and come up? The need... For a savior, I love this because Jesus goes over this entire sermon to lower their confidence. And at the conclusion of a sermon where you're like supposed to like give hope, at the conclusion of a sermon where he's like, Yeah, you guys really don't have it together, but he ends with the biggest blow to their confidence he ends with going, let me sober your mind just a little bit more. Can we put verse 21 back up on the screen one more time? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And Jesus will declare to them the four words that I never want to hear from my savior. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I want you to think about what's taking place in this moment. I mean, we're at the end of time. People know that Jesus is the, the Messiah. They know that, that he is Lord. And in fact, they spent their lives knowing that knowledge, which is sobering because what he's saying here is, you can spend your life knowing that I'm the son of God. You can spend your life knowing that I'm the king of kings. You can spend your life knowing that I am the Messiah, but that is not enough. And in fact, it can get a little worse. You can spend your life doing things for me. I mean, let's go to this list, skip the next verse and go to the next slide of those three things that we listed here. Lord, did we not prophesy, Jesus, did I not spend my life talking about what is true? Did I not spend my life telling others what is true? Did I not spend my life speaking good things? Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? I mean lord I saw I saw people possessed I saw people who who were who were living their lives like in brokenness and I I rebuked it in your name and, and these demons they flee I watched you display your power right in front of me Did I not do many mighty works Lord, don't you know that I, I went on the missions field and, and I preached sermons to thousands and didn't you know that I went to church every week and didn't you know that, that like I cared for people and I, I gave my money to the poor and, and, and didn't you know that I prayed to you? Didn't you know that I did all these things? Didn't you know? Didn't you know that I spent my life doing all these things for you. Didn't you know? Jesus is gonna look at these people at the end of time, and he's gonna go, you might have done all of these things for me, but look at me. You never realized that you had a need. You never realized that you needed me. You never realized that my gospel is not about what my people can do for me, but what I do for my people. Are you with me? You never realized that what I wanted from you was not what you could do, was not what you could speak, was not what you could give. Those aren't the things that our heavenly father looks for from us. No, 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 no. As if God is dependent on us, that he has a need for us. No, no, brothers and sisters, that is what we call a work of lawlessness. The gospel is not what you are going to do for him in your lifetime. The gospel is what God has done for you in the life, in the death, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is for those who realize, hear me, they are nothing apart from him. You with me? The kingdom of heaven is not what about is not about what you have to bring to the table. The kingdom of heaven is not about you being able to fulfill all of these things that Jesus listed. Jesus is going, look, it's not about your strength, it's about your weakness. It's not about what you are going to accomplish in my name. That's not what counts. On that day when we're standing before our maker and God's looking at his people, the question's not going to be, all right, tell me what you did. Tell me what you accomplished. Let's go ahead and take an evaluation of how good you were. Let's see how salty, no pun intended, you were on my earth. Let's, let's, let's see how, how, how bright you let your light shine. Let's see if you really did not just love your neighbors, but loved your enemies. Let's see. Let's see how you handled your anger. Let's see, let's see how you dealt with your sexual integrity. Let's see if you knew how to live without anxiety. Let's see if you figured it out. After time and time and time and time again, I told you this truth and you just couldn't get together. Let's, let's see how well you did. person's going to stand before the Lord oh we are going to do so pathetic Billy Graham (laughs) speaking the message to thousands upon thousands upon thousands and yet Lord did we not prophesy don't you know I stood on a stage and I opened up the Bible and I told people about you Jesus is going to go, no, 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 no. You're not here to plead what you did. You're going to plead one thing or not. You're either going to plead the blood of Jesus over your life, saying, I know I fell short, but Jesus found me. And in place of my weakness and my frailty and my sin, he gave me his life. And in place of my unrighteousness, he gave me his righteousness. And in place of my anxiety, he gave me his peace. And in place of my hopelessness, he gave me hope. And in place of my weakness, he gave me strength. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is gracious. The offer and the invitation of the gospel is not because God needs you to do an abundance of things for him in your lifetime. It's the process of receiving all the things he has done for you in your lifetime. That's the beauty of good news. And you know what happens when people receive that? We participate with God's healing in the world. We participate with him doing beautiful work in other people's lives we participate and we bear witness to the fact that Jesus is enough. We realize that all the needs that we have are met in him. So, if the question at hand for you tonight is, is this kingdom for you? Is the kingdom of heaven, is the kingdom of God for you? Then the answer is really simple. Do you see yourself with a need? Do you see yourself as one who is lacking? Do you see yourself as one who is frail, who is weak? If the answer is yes, the kingdom of heaven is for you. If the answer is no, my prayer for you is that God would bring you to a place where you can see you need him the same way that I do. Will you stand with me? You bow your heads. We're gonna go back into a a couple minutes of worship here. Yeah, thanks, Drew. Can we turn down the lights? And I've ended the message for the last three weeks the exact same way. Giving you the opportunity, myself, the opportunity to invite God into meeting our need. Here's the prayer that I want to ask you to pray in faith tonight as we worship. This is an odd prayer, and that's simply this, that God, by his grace, because he is gracious, would make you more aware of your need for him than he has right now. That he'd help you see you are nothing apart from him, and you can do nothing apart from him that he would decrease, help you decrease your trust in yourself and increase your trust in him. So can you open your hands with me as we head into a moment of worship here? I just wanna ask you to invite God to do that very thing to help you see that you have a need. Holy Spirit, we need you. We welcome you. Would you give us eyes to see? We pray this prayer every single week and yet there's more clarity for it. Would you give us eyes to see that we have a need and that need can only be met by you? Oh Lord, would you give us ears to hear? Ears to hear that we are in need and that need can only be met by you. Lord, as we look at our own lives and we look at addictions and sin and brokenness that that we we can be wrestling with on a day-to-day basis, I pray that you would help us see that those are very signs, very proof that we have a need and that the invitation of the gospel is for you to be our salvation. I pray for those who have been anxiously toiling to get their life together. Oh, Father, that you would absolutely destroy the trust they have in themselves right now. And you would show them something better. Show them good news. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, transform our hearts. Let's worship, brothers and sisters.